0: Today's Skim from the Couch is presented by h and Block. At the Skim, we're always trying to find ways to make our to-do list smaller. Whether it's a new app, the 135 method, or any other kind of productivity hack, you can never save enough time. We know it because we've tried everything, and at the end, we just want more time. That's especially true during tax season. That's why there's h and Block. More on that later. For now, let's get into the episode.
1: They don't care. Investors don't care about that. It's not a sob story that's going to get you the check. It's what are you going to do with your lived experience? How are you going to take that into the future and create magic? I'm
2: Carly Zakin. I'm Danielle Weisberg. Welcome to Skim from the Couch. This podcast is where we go deep on career advice from women who have lived it, from the good stuff like hiring and growing a team, to
0: the rough stuff like negotiating your salary and giving or getting hard feedback.
2: We started the skim from a couch, so what better place to talk it all out than where it began on a couch?
0: Please welcome Arlene Hamilton to this live. Episode of Skimmed from the Couch. Arlen is the founder and managing partner of Backstage Capital. We love your sweatshirt.
1: Thank you, Very. Her much. Her brother made it. He did. He surprised me with it.
0: <laughs> and Backstage Capital is a venture capital firm. She started to invest in startups led by underrepresented founders. Arlen started her career in the music industry as a tour manager, working with artists like Tony Braxton, CeeLo Green, and Jason Derulo. But in 2015, she took a look at Silicon Valley and noticed a major lack of diversity. So she set out to change it. She flew to Stanford to take a course in venture, and when it was over, she stuck around to build Backstage Capital. Uh, It definitely was not easy. When money was tight, she took meetings during the day and slept on the floor of the San Francisco airport at night. But it paid off. Flash forward to now, and Backstage Capital has invested nearly $5 million into startups led by women, minorities, and members of the LGBTQ community. Wow. We're so excited to have you here this morning. Arlen, welcome to the couch.
2: Thank you. Thanks for having me. So let's get into it. Yes. Skim your resume for
1: us. <laughs> oh wow. Uh, well, skim my resume. Okay, you yes. can do that's yeah. much faster sure. than what it really is. Okay. Um, pizza maker. Um, <laughs> Usher slash impromptu security for Stone Temple Pilots concert. <laughs> that's a whole store in itself. Um, and then data entry. And uh, music magazine publisher, lesbian blog publisher, unemployed, unemployed, unemployed. unemployed unemployed, and production assistant for movies and television and or reality TV mostly. And then um, production coordinator for arena sized, arena sized tours. And then unemployed, unemployed, unemployed. And then a managing partner of Backstage Capital.
2: What would not be found on your LinkedIn that we should know about your your job history?
1: Um, I once worked on, as a production assistant and as a transcriber, a show for Lifetime called One Born Every Minute. Do you know that? I don't know this one. It's about childbirth. And so I had, I mean, I don't know if there, I think it was the first season or I'd never seen it or whatever. So I didn't know what to expect it to, to, the outcome to be. But I watched in a two month period, I watched 20 live births happen. And because I was a transcriber, so I had two jobs. I was a transcriber and a production assistant. So my main job was to transcribe every word that everybody in the room said. Oh my God. Until the baby was born. No. So I would follow these families because there was 30 cameras in the hospital and I would follow these families and like be so angry at the guy or, you know, if the, it was mostly, uh, you know, straight couples, but I'd be mo- so angry at the guy like for eating in front of the woman while she was, chickening <laughs> or saying something stupid or whatever. And then, and then without fail, every single time the birth happened every, with no, at all 20 the guy cried and then we all you turned into a puddle <laughs> and so the other part of my job was i had to put on scrubs and go into the scene no the scene which is a woman giving birth and ask so there were some people who were pre-set up and some people who weren't so i had to go in and ask for their signature oh my god in the middle While of the contractions one like one time like two grandmothers got into a, like a fist fight <laughs> And they, it was so funny because one of them was like praying over the baby the whole time and like blessing everyone that came in the room and just, it's, what a blessing. What a bless, blessing this is. And she did that for like hours and I'm just typing all these things, all these Bible references. And then somebody kind of, we started noticing that the, the grandmothers wouldn't talk to each other or like acknowledge each other's existence in the room. And then one of them cut the cord Oh, no. And the and the next thing you know, they're can I speak to you in the hall? And the next <laughs> thing you know, I'm not kidding. You can find it. They're fist fighting, and then one of them kicks one while she's on the on the. Did ground. you get it on camera? Oh, we got it on thirty cameras. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, it was like the first thing, like the first episode. Yeah. So I had told everybody, oh, I'm, I did this show and it's so beautiful and it's a miracle of life, and the first episode is like grandma's gone wild. <laughs>
0: Isn't it funny? We started off in production too and like the random stuff that you learn along the way. Oh, yeah. So we could
1: have a whole other conversation. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of reality TV and not anymore.
0: (laughs) So we're going to fast forward and talk a bit about your role now at Backstage Capital. Um, A lot of questions that we get is just about the day-to-day. So as a founder and now as a managing partner, what does your day-to-day actually look like? Oh,
1: my day-to-day is very different each day. So right now I'm in New York and I live in Los Angeles. And I was in San Francisco yesterday. So 2018, I actually was on the road 300 days. Uh, Yeah, yeah. And this year, I'm trying to cut that in half and then try next year to cut that in half. But I'm usually traveling. I spend a lot of time on on airplanes or getting from an airport to somewhere. And um, I I spend a lot of time working with our founders. We have more than 100 portfolio companies now. And so uh, everybody has my phone number And so I spend a lot of time talking to, it's not all of them, but maybe 20 or 30 um, I I talk to on a monthly basis or some of them on a weekly basis. And so I'll help now with, um, now that it's me and a team, I'll help with big problems Mm -hmm. and um, try to find big solutions for them. And then I'm Um, Speaking a lot and amplifying our, our message and what we're doing and trying to get more and more investors to follow suit. And I spent a lot of time in the fundraising mode for either backstage itself or for founders.
0: One thing I just want to point out for everyone in the room is that we have some of our investors' cell phone numbers, and we do call them, and it's an amazing relationship. So the fact that all of your portfolio feels like they can do that is is very, very unique. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So
2: I want to go back to your career transition. You're in the music industry. That's a very lovely way of saying it. (laughs)
1: My career. I was in a transition.
2: So... As you skimmed your resume for us uh, before on LinkedIn, you were in the music industry. You were working with really cool people and you wanted to make a change. And I wanted you to kind of unpack for the room, like what inspired that change and how did you know it was
1: time? Yeah. So I... I was working as a, a production coordinator, started as a production assistant for these artists. So I was working on the the side that was like 16 hour work days on the road, uh, which is why, by the way, I'm used to being on the road. So it's not as tough. Um, and so it wasn't a glamorous thing at all. But it was I definitely had some awesome moments and I was very happy to be there and to have worked my way into that world after 10 plus years of trying Um, so I had, I really thought I was going to stay there for a long time. And in fact, I I've written, I've written, uh, found an email where I wrote to the, to the CEO of live nation. It's like the biggest, uh, tour, tour promoter in the country. And I was talking to Michael Rapino, the CEO and saying there should be more black women who are tour managers. So my thing was everything that I do now with backstage, I was trying to do in the live music industry. And I, thought that I would go on to just be one of those um black women who made made it to top tier tours and it was during that time it was like 2011 2012 where I discovered um, one of your investors um, Troy Carter like I knew he was lady gaga's manager so I knew he what he was doing there and then I saw that he was starting to invest in something called, Lyft and Uber and and Airbnb, what? Okay, and I, so I knew Airbnb as some, you know, as an observer, but why was this guy making those investments? Then I saw Ellen, the mothership uh, to, to, if there's, like, I don't know how many women there are in this room, but their chances are she's the mothership to 10% of you. (laughs) So, she was making these investments as well, and um, Ashton Kutcher and, and all these people were making these investments. So I said, what is that? What is that? So, I've I always been a curious person since I was a child and uh, discovered, okay, Silicon Valley, um, you can start a company from the ground up. People view failure as a badge of honor. Cool. I've been there. I'll have all the badges. (laughs) It'll be great. And um, awesome. Let's go. Let me start a company. And I started looking at starting a company and I started like researching venture capital. And what I realized was like, okay, this could be the land of opportunity, but it's really shut out for a lot of people. And if you're not an affluent white man you're going to have trouble. And think about, like right now that's true, but think about 2012 when I was first really digging into this and nobody was talking about it that I could find. And then over time, people started writing these think pieces like, you know, Silicon Valley has a diversity problem, 2013, 14. And I thought, well, duh, first of all. (laughs) Second of all, that's not fair, and a gay black woman uh, what chance do I have? But let's look at the opportunity there. I'm looking at venture capital, what what they do, what, what investors do. I'm looking at angel investors. And if there's no one there to fill that void, someone who figures that out could stand to, to do quite well. And so that's, it's really, it was really to, a parallel mission. It was, let's, Let's get more capital into the hands of people who have not been given such a chance and who are just as innovative and just as intelligent and just as talented, but don't have the same access. And also, I want to be like really wealthy. And that's who I want to bet on. It's, it's, you know, plain.
0: You talk about. Being on a tour and thinking about, you know, your path was just going to be a great tour manager, right? And you are going to rise up the ranks that way and you casually just email the CEO of Live Nation yes. and you're like, this is how I feel and I think you should know about it. That isn't something that everyone does. All right. Where does that come from in you?
1: I, like my mom tells a story of how like she was pulled over once when I was like six or seven. And the police officer said, do you know how fast you're going? And she's like, no, I have no idea. And I said, she was going 40 in a 20 in a school zone. <laughs> That's really helpful. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it, it was like the earliest memories I have from my mom was her telling me, and I didn't realize it at the time what she was saying, but I remember her saying, if something feels wrong, you can, you can say it. You, you have permission to say it, even if it's an adult, even if it's someone in power, you have permission to speak up. I didn't realize at the time she was protecting me and making sure that I spoke out. But to me, that translated to, I have this power and I can say, if I see something wrong, I should be able to talk about it. So that's just followed me through life. I see something that doesn't make sense or is unfair or unjust, whether it's for me or for someone else. I'm going to say it out loud. And that's really what this is all about.
2: So you decide, you see this opportunity, you're like, I'm going to go after it. That is yes. easier said than done. And I want you to really kind of
1: dig into us about what yeah. that actually meant for you. The truth of it is, I, I was completely broke. I had no... Money and I had a lot of friends, like because you know, I'm 38, this is 33, 34. So I had a lot of different types of friends. And back then, when someone said they were, Oh, I'm so broke, they meant like they had to dig into savings, or you know, they weren't going to be able to have the extras that week. I mean, like go to your bank account and there's $12 there and you're happy that it's not a negative so it doesn't get the $30 charge. That's what I mean by broke. And I mean like, you know, you get the apartment, but you don't have the furniture, but you're happy that you're inside somewhere that's not outside in the elements. Sharing hotel rooms with my mom so that she in her 60s being as broke wouldn't be by herself and we I, I wouldn't be mine. So- like it was that bad. And then in that time is when I said, I'm gonna start a multi-million dollar venture fund. So I better like- Better start. Yeah. yeah. I better get some like new shoes. Cause I like, you know, it, it to me it was, um, it didn't feel like risk. It, it felt like it was gonna be so difficult to do. And I was just like, okay, I got to put my armor on and get ready to go do that. But it didn't feel like it wasn't going to happen. The fact that it was going to happen was inevitable to me. That was the only way I was able to do it. And it was a little bit, you know, you hear, and I'm sure you all um, can relate, you hear a little bit about like founders having to be a little, a little off, like a, <laughs> a little bit. Our like, team behind you is like nodding. Yeah, yeah they're yeah, like, yeah. yes, <laughs> that is true. Yeah. Like you have to be a little bit, like just um, what's the reality distortion? Yeah, reality. you have to because you you step into something that is, as you say, not everyone does it. A lot of people think about it, and not a lot of people execute, and that's okay. The people who don't execute are no less. Than the people who do. They just have different roles. So getting really tactical. Okay. You ended up going to
2: Stanford has this two-week program. Yes. Before you went there, you went on Twitter. Correct. Tell us about your tweets, what your thoughts were about the cost of the program, and how you felt, why you
1: felt you needed to do that program. Oh, okay. So this was a program that five hundred startups put on. It was about unlocking venture capital and I wanted to understand uh, what that was and I just more importantly wanted to be in the room because I felt like I taught myself plenty uh, in my homeschooling, but I wanted to be in the room and I wanted I hadn't been to Silicon Valley before so I was in Texas I saw this course and I'm like, oh wow, and it was thousands of dollars I mean it was for it was for um accredited investors who were really wealthy who wanted to like have more information and more connections. But again, it was one of those things where I was like I want to be in that room. So I'm going to be in that room. It's just a matter of how do I get there? Um, and they there was a um scholarship that I got for being a woman. It pays to be a woman sometimes. And and but it was still like I don't know $10,000. It was a lot of money and I had zero. So I First thing I did was I wrote a few people that I had been talking to who I knew were millionaires who maybe could help me. Um, And Chris Saka actually um, put the first $500 down for me. And then I did a crowdfunding. So there are a lot of people in here who actually
2: are in business school uh, today and um, a lot of people in this crowd. And I'm really curious. It's something that Danielle and I talk a lot about and have thought a lot about because in our previous lives before this scam, we were in not well-paying jobs in production. And we were advised by anyone we went to for career advice to go to business school. And we looked at the financial realities of that and we're like, okay, well, that would require us to go into a lot of debt that I don't know if the production jobs or whatever jobs we would get out of this would help yeah. us pay off that debt. We interview and have hired people who come from business school. We get asked a lot for advice about people. Should I go to a graduate program? And our feeling is like the best business school that that we have had has been building the skin and figuring out as we went. And there are sure. certain like lapses in our knowledge base that I wish that I had had the proper training for. Um, but I'm very curious what you advise people when they come to you today about, should they go to graduate school? And if they were in graduate school, what to do next and how to think about their next steps.
1: Right. So I should say that I graduated high school and I was a very good student, but I just wasn't feeling going to college. It just didn't speak to me. So I haven't gone to college before. And I, I went to this, you know, program that they had there in Stanford. Um, So I feel like you, first of all, I feel like you should do what you want to do. (laughs) You should do what feels right to you. And um, there should be no shame in either direction. I'm very adamant about that. I think that so much, absolutely, so much education comes from doing. And that means that people who can't afford to go to graduate school or don't have the ability for some reason or just maybe they have a learning disability that stops them from like wanting to have that sort of very specific type of education. All of those people can take heart in knowing that they can um, achieve um, uh, something outside of that. They can learn outside of that. I also think that if you, that a reason you would go is network. To me, you're paying for network for for decades in that situation, more so than learning how to, you know, work a cap table or work a spreadsheet. Um, Because I have seen how that has this sorority fraternity, both figuratively and, and literally, um, has opened doors for people and kept doors open and given people like you know revolving doors you know just all they could ask for through just oh i you know this guy i knew or this woman i knew from grad school so i think that it's fine to go to i'll tell you this um, a friend of mine who uh, left her great career in tech to go get an mba she when first time we met we sat down for about an hour and I had just like gone through this homeschooled, teaching, every, teaching myself everything I could about venture capital from not knowing what it was four years prior. And I just talked to her, and she said, at the end of the hour, she said, I learned more in this conversation than I did getting my MBA that she had just graduated from, from Stanford. A lot of people here are already in their programs.
2: Yeah. Sure. And are probably throwing up in their mouth a little you bit right now. You shouldn't at all.
1: You shouldn't at all. And,
2: and so I, when you talk about network, you know you even look like just thinking about what you what you said this morning that you know you were already networking with with millionaires and asking them yeah, for advice you know. like how <laughs> it's what you do how do you, how do you even start i mean when even when you talk about you know you had done your own homework around in the venture world like where what is your starting point to get smart on going into something new
1: google <laughs> we we have google at our fingertips and um, we have the internet and I'm being slightly facetious but mostly it, we have everything at our fingertips now and even sometimes when when I you know I even went as far as like you go to the library you go to to use if you don't even have it at your fingertips like you know um you start there um there's a lot and even like I think about people like I love to read but I think about people who don't love to read now there's podcasts like we're on right now. Like there's audio, there's audible, you know, books. And um, there's just so much knowledge and so many videos. And that's what I did. I mean, I spent, I don't know, I should have counted, but I read the Outliers book right in the the middle of this. And I was like, that's me. Wow. Okay. Because I mean, I spent hundreds and hundreds of hours just scouring the internet for information and just searching keywords and people and like I couldn't get enough information and I still can't and I still say to this day you have to be just you have to be insatiable when it comes to understanding something um, that you want to dominate for instance so starting I mean that's how I would start and then on the networking side yeah, that's a hard question because not everybody is made the same, obviously, right? So some people have a really hard time even striking up a conversation or knowing what to say or they get really nervous or they're too aggressive or, you know, um, and you're, I guess the, 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 the you know, the, the safety is in knowing that um, I don't, I don't, I could be wrong, but we can look it up on Google. Um, I don't think anyone has ever died of embarrassment, so I mean, maybe someone, probably someone, but I don't think they have. So, you know, you can you can give yourself a little permission to put yourself out on the limb and um, be be better for it. You know, be better for the for the uh, experience. And I mean, I've made a fool of myself so many times in front of people, um, just just terribly tragic yeah. situations, either through emails that were like the Gettysburg Address. And now, you know, my blood type and my mom's blood type <laughs> or through in person. And I'm just like, you know, you're you're starting to hear yourself. You know, when you get to that point when you're, yeah. you're starting to hear yourself, you're like, I'm still talking. <laughs> oh, no, I can't. I don't know where to go from here. I've had that. Um, and I used to have terrible, terrible stage fright until uh, March of 2017. I had terrible stage fright. And so, like, you know, it, it's, it's just it's just in figuring out what, you're, what you are good at, like what, what your strengths are, and um, kind of doubling down on those. We read
0: that um, when you started, you kept something written on a whiteboard. Yes. What was it?
1: It was keep going with the exclamation point, as like a fourth or a fifth of the whiteboard in my home. And I would write everything around it. And it was kind of impermanent marker, you couldn't erase it. And it was, and I, I spend so much time by myself, even though I'm surrounded, I have a large team and so many portfolio companies, but I spent as much time as I can by myself. And so there are many 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 days where i'd have to like force myself to look up at that and i can still see it you know i can still see it right now because when you're in something and it feels like insurmountable and it feels like a freight train coming at you um and you don't have so, you don't have that coach right in front of you or like you you know you all have each other and co-founders have each other and um if you don't in that moment you know you might have to have your previous self be your coach and so that's been my way a few times why'd you take it down oh i moved okay yeah (laughs) i still have it like ingrained in my in my mind but it'll go back that's a good good reason All
0: right, let's take a quick break. We talked at the top about making your to-do list smaller. It's tax season. So let's talk about how to check taxes off that list. We've got an idea, H&R Block. They have a service that'll help you get over taxes and get on with your life. We can all appreciate that. It's called Tax Pro Go. Tax Pro Go is made for people who don't want to go to a tax office, but don't want to do their own taxes either. Hmm, that sounds familiar. It's definitely us and it might be you too. Here's how it works. You upload your docs and let a tax pro do the rest. That's it. Really. It's the easiest way to get your taxes done for you. So if that sounds good to you, go to hrblock.com slash tax go to learn more. Again, that's hrblock.com slash tax go. So switching gears, your company has now become an established part of the VC ecosystem. Uh you've invested almost five million dollars into startups with underrepresented founders. What gets you to a yes when a company is pitching you?
1: Ooh, um, well, if there were so if there were magic formula, everybody would get a check. And um that would be it. You know, would be like Oprah, Eric, you're getting a check. There's actually a check underneath. Everybody share here today. Um, but there's no magic formula, Formula, but um, it, there's, a, there's this special, like, X factor. And I've, you would imagine, I've heard, I've asked this question of myself and people have asked this question. And it's one of the hardest answers I can give because it really is about that instinct, especially at pre-seed and seed. Series A and beyond, you hopefully have a lot of data to look at. But early on in the process, I'm looking at I'm looking at the team, looking at the people, the dynamics there. Um, I'm looking at uh, how a person takes constructive criticism, and um, not on any sort of high horse either, because I half the time I can take it and half the time I can't. And um, it's really important though that if I'm spending money that other people have trusted me with uh, I are interested me with. I have to make decisions based on what I think is going to bring them returns. so it can't it's it's never going to be a sob story that gets it because I have a sob story. I have a lifetime story, right? That's I, when I wrote, wrote those emails when I was like, and then my mom's car died and then we we're on the streets. They don't care. Investors don't care about that. It's not a sob story that's going to get you the check. It's what are you going to do with your ex- lived experience? How are you going to take that into the future and create magic? That's how you should look at your story. Would the Arlen
2: of 2019, who is the founder of a very successful VC fund and firm, invested in the Arlen of 2014,
1: 2015? Yes. 100%. That's what I'm pattern matching today for that person. So we're going
0: to open it up for questions. So people in the audience already submitted these in the advance. Thank you very much. Uh, We have time for a couple. So... uh, this is a great one. You put yourself through a lot to start Backstage Capital. How did you stay focused and positive throughout it all?
1: I wasn't focused. I mean, I was I was focused throughout it all, but I wasn't positive throughout it all. I was I went through the dips and ups and downs. There were many times I was crying, especially those airport days. Those were not fun. But any time I needed to get myself out of that and through that, it was all about the mission of what I was trying to do and knowing that it wasn't something I was trying to introduce to the market. It wasn't something that was like, I have this invention. It was already there and I was trying to put a spotlight on it. And as long as those mostly at this time, black women were building and were being shut out of all of our futures, backstage needed to exist. So I certainly couldn't stop just because I was personally stressed. You
2: have been able to get into inside the VC world. As an outsider, what advice do you have for young people who might be minority voices in the room?
1: Yeah, uh, we feel that a lot, different people, everyone has felt that at some point. Um, I think it's about being really it's hard to always be secure in yourself but that being the goal so that all of your external circumstances have less and less bearing on how you feel, how you react um what your what how how, how what your happiness level is all of that so that like sometimes this is a little bit different but I it kind of reminds me of it. Sometimes I'll look at Instagram and I'll be like, oh, they're having a party and I didn't get invited. And I would have thought I would. Oh, OK. And then I'll just and then I'll say to myself, wait a minute, like <laughs> I am the party. You know, <laughs> and I, I will say to myself, like, you know what, like I'm uh, that you need to shut that negative thinking off and like e- what you have already is enough and you know, your value, you know, your worth. And, um, I don't want to become, you know, you're good enough. You is kind, (laughs) you know, your value, you know, your worth. And if a group of people, if you're outside the door and you're knocking and, and someone opens the door, you know, go in with confidence and knowing that you have just as much, right to be there as they do. If they're not answering, um, build your own house.
2: Which is a great transition to the next question, which was uh, from someone in the audience, what actionable steps can be taken in the workplace setting to challenge issues of inclusion? Is there ever a time to walk away and apply that energy in other ways, like starting your own badass company founded on inclusivity?
1: Well, I think you answered your own question there. I mean, (laughs) I just talked to someone. So again, I didn't spend a lot of time in corporate situations and I haven't, I've always Worked on things that had either I was running myself, or um, it, there wasn't an establishment that I was afraid of of disrupting or leaving or offending. So I I can't relate personally to the idea of, of you know being worried about offending um, an institution. But I was talking to someone just last week who said that they were the only black person at their company of hundreds of people and that they had tried to, you know, make make strides and, and help their team get better and and over a couple of years. And I said to them, you're a saint because that's wonderful that you did that. I hope you take that experience. I hope they know your value, but I don't suspect they do. And if they can't get their stuff together, it is not your job to fix them. And um, my recommendation to her was the same one I had earlier today was do what is right for you and what feels right to you because you have to live with yourself. But if you have any doubt or any um, if you're worried about hurting anyone's feelings by walking away, the only feelings you need to worry about are your own. Don't hurt your own feelings by staying.
0: At
2: Skim HQ, we are constantly taking pictures all of the time. If you have listened to this show before, you have probably heard us talk about our crush on Framebridge. We love it. Here's how it works. You go to framebridge.com and you upload a photo. Or that's very easy. It's so easy. Or they'll send you packaging to safely mail in your actual physical pieces if that's what you want to frame.
0: And we all know that we don't mail things anymore unless they send us the packaging. So Correct.
2: again, easy. And then you preview our items online. You could choose your favorite or you get free recommendations from their very, very responsive and amazing team of talented designers. And instead of paying hundreds at the framing store, their prices start at $39. Their shipping is free. And again, it's just so easy. Also, bonus, our listeners from Skim from the Catch will get 15% off their first order. Just go to
0: framebridge.com, promo code SKIM. Again, that's framebridge.com, promo code SKIM. S-K-I-M-M. You are welcome. We're going to move on to the last segment. Okay. It's our favorite. It's a lightning round. So we're going to ask you questions and you answer as fast as you can.
1: Okay, I was just, for a second, I had this vision of being tased. Because <laughs> you got, both of you got to look at no. your face like this is... This is going to be good. Me. Yeah. Okay. This is my favorite part. It's better than coffee. Yes.
0: No tasing here. <laughs> What's happening? Uh, okay, lightning around, Got it. What did you think you were going to be when you grew up?
1: What did I think I was going to be? Oh, I didn't know what I was going to be. First job. Pizza maker. Worst job. Pizza maker. <laughs>
0: worst professional mistake you've made
1: not being prepared enough
2: first phone call when you get good
1: news mother first phone call when you get bad news my fiance. unfortunately she gets call. yeah but she's she can handle it
0: when's the last time you negotiated
1: for yourself today <laughs> do you want do you want to shed any light, light on that right right,
0: uh, how do people know you're stressed
1: Maybe I go inward.
2: What is your go-to interview question for someone interviewing for a job with you?
1: What do you want for yourself for the next few years?
0: What drives you? Uh,
1: curiosity. What's your shameless plug? Shameless plug? Yeah. Oh, um, haven't. I signed a book deal. That's very exciting. This month. With Penguin Random House, and it'll, the book will come out next year, first half of the year. And I ask everyone in this room to th- consider pre-ordering it, just so that um, we can make a splash. This audience has been pre-ordering all day, so thank you. Um, and if you don't, and if you can't, I wouldn't have been able to afford it uh, five years ago. So if you can't afford it, or if you don't want to, just like you know, send a send a good word and a good thought. Arlen thank you so much for being thank here. You. Thank you.
0: Thanks for hanging out with us. Join us next week for another
2: episode of Skim from the Couch. And if you can't wait until then, subscribe to our daily email newsletter that gives you all the important news and information you need to start your day. Sign
0: up at theskim.com. That's the S-K-I-M-M dot Two M's for a little something extra.
2: If you like this podcast once a week, what about getting more skin? Maybe in your ears, maybe every day. As of now,
0: you can. Meet Skim This. Every Monday through Friday, we're breaking down the biggest news stories of the day and giving you the context on why they actually matter. We'll connect the dots to provide clarity through all the chaos. Search Skim This right now, wherever you're listening to this podcast, and hit subscribe so you don't miss it.